You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to this week's Fresh Air Sports Hub show with me, Pete Johnson. Joined, as always, by Alfie Steiner. What a week of sport we've had for you. We've got some huge headlines for you this week, some huge talking points to get our teeth into. But first of all, we'll run you through the big stories of the week. In football, Chelsea football club owner Roman Abramovich has been sanctioned by the UK government as a part of the government's response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Chelsea is one of his many assets in the UK that's been frozen, meaning amongst other things, they cannot sell tickets or merchandise or sign any players. This includes offering new contracts to existing players, three of whom have a contract only until this summer. Luxury property developer and lifelong Chelsea fan Nick Candy is the most prominent figure to have expressed an interest in acquiring Chelsea and hopes the deal could be completed by the end of March. In on the pitch action, last week was a remarkable week for Champions League football as the Karim Benzema hat-trick overturned a two-goal lead for Paris Saint-Germain to send the star-studded French side out of the competition in the last 16. Manchester City and Bayern Munich cruised to straightforward victories, while Liverpool progressed past Inter Milan despite a 1-0 second-leg defeat in their time. In the Six Nations on Friday night, France defeated Wales by 13 points to 9, Scotland beat Italy by 33 points to 22 on Saturday, and Ireland beat England crucially by 32 points to 15. France remained top of the table with four wins from four, the only side to do so, while Ireland's victory over England means England have now been caught adrift and it is really a two-horse race to title between Ireland and France with two more rounds of matches to play. In tennis, Novak Djokovic has withdrawn from the Indian Wells and Miami Open over US coronavirus rules. We previously reported on the show that he said he would be prepared to forgo the opportunity to win titles if it meant having to become vaccinated against COVID-19, which he has staunchly refused to do. With COVID-19 rules, however, becoming relaxed in other countries, he shall still be able to play in major events such as Wimbledon later in the year. And finally, in Formula One, Haas have announced that Danish driver Kevin Magnussen has returned to the team following the departure of Russian Nikita Mazepin. Magnussen previously drove for the team four seasons from 2017 to 2020. The first race of the new season is set to take place this weekend in Bahrain, with reigning constructors champions Mercedes and their British drivers Lewis Hamilton and George Russell adamant that the team will not be challenging for victories at the beginning of the season. Ferrari and Red Bull are thoughts to be the teams to beat. And at that point, we will bring in our associate, our co-host, Alfie Steiner, to get our tea stuck into some of those huge headlines, really, um, from the world of football. I think Abramovich has to be the main talking point. We will come on to discuss the future of Mauricio Pochettino later on, because that appears to be rather up in the air. Uh, but there is only one place we can start, and that is obviously at Chelsea. So just get the initial thoughts from you on that, that huge story that broke um, just a few days ago. I think the day after we recorded our last show. So we've had a week to think about it. Um, so what, what are your opening thoughts on it, on it, Alfie? I think I'm, I'm sort of caught between two states of mind. One, I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by the sort of severity of the punishment Um you know, levelled by by the UK government. That's not something I was expecting. Um, but by the same token, then a few days later, it emerges that, you know, that they're, they're still able to sell the club. And now apparently there's a Saudi Arabian consortium uh, circling to buy the club as well. So, yeah, it's, I kind of don't know where I stand on it at the moment, just because it's still in a state of flux. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that, this has sort of come to light. I mean, I'm not pleased that it's come to light because of, you know, the context within which it's it's come to light, but it's um, it does show the kind of uh, the problem we have in football, especially, especially in the top flight of, you know, what owners are using their investments for and the ties that they have, where their money comes from. And you know, Chelsea has sort of just one example in the Premier League of of uh, an owner who has, you know, bankrolled their success over the past almost 20 years or something like that and has sort of been found out or rather, you know, I mean, too late, really. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, there's so many ways to look at it because you 
you, you can get wrapped up in, which we should do the the outside of football context, but on in, in a football sense, you know, Chelsea, you know, I live with a Chelsea fan and he's been sort of struggling to grapple with where, how he should respond to, to what's been going on. Because obviously we've seen certain Chelsea fans at games um, not behaving in a way that's fitting, I think, with the the global climate and what's happening in Ukraine. So other Chelsea fans are kind of like, well, look, we, we Abramovich has been so crucial to our success by the same token, like, you know, he's, <laughs> he's got ties with people who deserve to be punished and he deserves to be punished. So I'm sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that he's been sanctioned and I'm pleased that in a way he's been made an example of, um, having said that then, you know, if a Saudi Arabian consortium is then just going to buy Chelsea and, you know, at, at the weekend, there was also an incident of, you know, uh, some really abhorrent actions on the part of the Saudi Arabian government. And they've obviously just basically bought Newcastle. And so it, it kind of extends into more than just Chelsea and you can apply it to different scenarios. But I think just in terms of keeping it to Abramovich and Chelsea and what's going on, I think it's a really interesting time. And also, yeah, I'm just sort of willing to, not willing, I'm, I'm sort of, yeah, just sitting back and, and waiting to see how it unfolds. Because I think that there's a deadline in place, supposedly, for Chelsea to get sold. I think it might even be today or at the end of the week. Um, and, you know, there's been rumours of Americans being interested. There was a group of, like, English businessmen. Um, and then now the Saudi Arabian kind of consortium, which apparently have no ties to, you know, the crown prince who own Newcastle. But, you know, it's it's kind of... It just shows who can who can compete at this highest level and who can buy football clubs and it's yeah. oil states and oligarchs and it's quite sad because we're all kind of part of this weird dynamic where we love football but football has kind of been taken over by people who are using it for a different purpose. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are. Uh, I've, sort of, I've sort of gone off on a tangent there. No, no, I, I think it's, it's certainly what it does is it, it brings into light kind of so excuse me it kind of brings to light the the whole question of the the fit and proper checks in in english football yeah. for owners who come in i mean to all intents and purposes roman abramovich has been an absolutely fantastic owner for chelsea so from that point of view whatever checks and whatever whatever checks he went under in 2003 2004 when he bought the club he has turned out in all fairness i i think you'd have to say he's been a very good owner you know he's invested mm. a lot in the club he's brought a lot of success to the club he's very mm. popular with the fans which cannot be said for many owners at all um so i think you know all in all i don't think that the, the test that he was subjected to have failed really um but it does bring into into question you know when you do these checks are you looking at the individual i mean how deeply into the into the person do you go do you focus on the per on the individual do you focus on their contacts so for, in this case you know, with Abramovich, if you dug a bit deeper, there's probably quite a lot about him you could have discovered that's only just coming to light now. Um, mm. So I, it's, it's a difficult one for me because, I mean, on the face of it, the checks that he went under when he first bought Chelsea there's, uh, have, have, have succeeded. I mean, he was he's turned, to, he's turned out to be a very good owner. Chelsea was in very good hands while he was the owner. Um, and it's only now, really, that it's been raised as an issue. Um, well, that, yeah, just, just to jump in there, I think... You know, the, the recently, I think it was about a week ago or something, the Premier League released a statement being like, we're going to take into account human rights as a like barometer in this like fit to, fit and proper ownership test, which like, let's not beat around the bush. It's kind of disgraceful. Like, why was this not part of it 20 years ago? And I think, look, Abramovich has been a in a football sense. And this is where the kind of split is. It's like, he's been a very good owner for Chelsea. He's made them arguably the most, one of the most successful clubs in the last 20 years. But I think, you know, it's, it's very hard to kind of now what's come to light. And, you know, all this stuff about Abramovich, it's not just like come to light now. It's been there. I think the government and the British government and people who 
have been in charge of things have sort of not let it slide, but it's easier to kind of not look too deep. And then a, a crisis that we're in now has sort of, you know, forced everything to come up to the surface. And mm. I think it's kind of, you know, this was going to happen at some point. And I think it just, <clears throat> yeah, as you say, it exposes the the inadequacy of of the Premier League in, in kind of regulating uh, how football clubs are run, who's able to get involved and all this kind of, you know, I mean, I've read quite a lot of articles about from, from good football journalists and, you know, commenting on the stench of their own money and, and how football is just kind of so wrapped up in the money and what, and it kind of tarnishes the the whole thing. And, and in, in a way it's, it's represented by Chelsea. Like mm. on the one hand, he's been an excellent owner because he's bankrolled success, but at the same time, you know, how do you quantify being a good owner? Like and in purely football terms, yes, but where, like, in what way did he come a, come about Chelsea? Like, what was his intention other than, you know, just investing loads of money because he needed to get rid of it? And yeah, it just, it gets very kind of like messy. And I think, again, as football fans, like we're doing right now, we have a responsibility to kind of discuss it and and try and work out like what our role in in all of this is because it's it's hard like you know to because we are victims of kind of sports washing and and football is as well so it's like how do we how do we kind of accept that and try and understand it and it's sad Mm. no it's 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 a very interesting development because as a football fan you know i speak as someone who's followed bolton wanderers very closely for a number of years support bolton wanderers and they had quite a horrific owner from a footballing perspective and been taken over. A fantastic mm. owner who's prepared to put money into the club, look after it, and all's well and good. And, you know, in previous times, in years gone by, um, you know, that, that's all you expect as a football fan. You want, a, you want a, a, an owner who cares for your club, who will look after it. Whether they support the club really is, is, is another issue. Whatever, Whether Roman Abramovich was a Chelsea fan when he bought Chelsea, I don't really... Is no, it, he, he, he. I mean, he wasn't. Point. He he was looking to yeah. buy a club. It could have been Liverpool. It could have been mm-hmm. another like Spurs, like, and it happened to be Chelsea. Yeah, but, but it, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it doesn't. You don't. You don't really mind, really, as long as it's in good hands mm. and you can go and watch yeah. them every week and they're playing some sort of good football and not getting relegated every season. Yeah. You've got you've got a team to get behind, but I think it, it is it's it's the the turnaround has been drastic, and I just think it's people's eyes. I think well. There were obviously you know, underlying issues with the Bramovich things that hadn't hadn't been discussed. I mean, maybe they were in, you know in the in the public knowledge, but nobody ever really come to discuss them. And I think the turnaround mm-hmm. has been drastic, and kind of the the sudden change that you people expect more from a football owner. And you talk about Abramovich, you look at the the the, the people who've taken over Newcastle and. People starting to realise that you know, we've come to accept that there's money in football, and that was something that took a long time for pe- a lot of people really to come to terms with. That you could you could pay to win essentially if you're City, yeah. if you're PSG, if you're Chelsea, if you whoever you could pay to you you you, you know we, we've come to accept now that you can buy success in football, and that took a long time to come to accept. And now is really the mm. next stage of that where people are really starting to become aware of where the money is coming from that is allowing clubs to buy success. I mean. You know, you can't just go out and, you know, sign Lionel Messi on a £700,000 a week contract if, you, you know, just from going to work, you know, you know, five days a week. That's not going to get you the money. You, you, you need to have got money from external sources. And now that's coming to light and it's becoming given it kind of what those external sources are and who these associates are and what they're involved in. Um, I think it's taken on a, <laughs> taken on a new dimension. Um yeah, and I yeah, think I think it's in. I'm kind of waffling a bit, but I think no, no, it do. Um, it's one thing having money, and it's one thing having a rich owner, um, but it's now starting to become a thing where fans are becoming a lot more aware of where that money's come from, which in the past wasn't really an issue. It was oh, City have got mm. rich owners, they're going to win everything, they're going to buy buy success. That's awful. But we've now come to accept that Man City, just an example, can do that. Um, but it's where the money's come from now. It's not the fact they've got the money, it's where it's come from. So I think the focus has started to shift now and it's definitely definitely a welcome development, I feel. Yeah, and I think it's 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 kind of 
in a way it's it's sort of cyclical in the sense that look there was obviously money in football and and you know back in 2003 when Roman Abramovich entered the frame it was it was just about to take off the Premier League like it wasn't nearly as kind of um commercially and economically lucrative as it is now but he changed the game like he bought kind of he was the first to to enter football and look it could have been anyone it could have been at any club but it was Abramovich and it was at Chelsea he was who set he set the precedent for someone to come in as an oligarch with you know billions of pounds the Premier League was like look if it looks all right then fine um and look he proved that he was committed to making Chelsea a you know a, a commodity a, a valuable asset to the to England and to the government and you know to the fans and to the people of the country so in that sense the precedent was set and then you know 5 years later Manchester City get taken over by a by um uh I always Sheikh Mansour, yeah, I always get confused between who owns PSG and who owns uh, uh, Manchester City. Anyway, so that happened five years later and then, you know, Newcastle happened and PSG happened and it, it did set the precedent for this kind of influx of, you know, dirty money coming into football. And look, not, not all of it's clean, but it, it has taken such a turn to the extreme that now it's kind of like, well, if you want to compete, you either have to be, you know, you have to be backed by an oil state or like, you know, the crown prince or something. And it just kind of, it, it, it has changed the landscape so much. And I think in a way, you know, Abramovich getting found out and, and punished shows that look, the, the last 20 years, whilst football has accelerated like no other sport and and you know the amount of money that's in the game now is is crazy but it's kind of you know the the roles have reversed a bit and look Chelsea are probably going to get taken over by another billionaire owner and and be absolutely fine but you know he he bought this kind of he set the precedent and look it could have been anyone as I say but it's interesting to note the timeline and you know, the Premier League's responsibility at that point because they were probably just getting started. They weren't qualified to kind of think, well, no, we need to regulate this because what might happen? But, you know, I think when someone like that comes into a, into a sport, which is, you know, very, as we're seeing now, it's not been regulated properly. Money and people can, you know, wedge, wedge themselves into positions of power and then kind of, yeah, use it as a as a sports wash and it's yeah again like you i'm starting to waffle because it's a waffly subject but abramovich set the precedent and and look where that's kind of got us and 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 for the most part look we love we love to see you know superstars in the premier league and and at the big clubs being paid loads of money and and it makes for a more competitive league and and a better product but it has also, you know, kind of shifted the landscape so far to the extreme where like, well, how do you compete if you're like, how is it fair when you're bankrolled by a, an oil state or a nation state or whatever? So those are my kind of considerations. It's kind of like, you know, Abramovich and Chelsea are not the only ones, but they've been the ones who have been found out and uh, dealt with kind of accordingly, given the, 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 the current situation that the world is in and Ukraine is in. Yeah, no, I agree totally. I think it's it's very easy and it, and, and and right to say that you know in light of these in the of these developments, the, the Premier League should obviously and in the EFL and just in general, there should be there should be deeper background checks into the owners. I think we're all we're all very clear on that. Um, mm. I just wonder as to obviously I'm no I'm no I'm no legal expert. I'm no expert as to as to what goes on in those processes. But you know these these oligarchs these. You know these these crown princes. They're they're very savvy kind of intelligent individuals. They know how to mm. hide money. They know how to hide contacts. They know how to cover mm. up parts of their past. Clearly, um, I mean, you do wonder just in, in maybe in defence of the the Premier League. It's it's very obvious that something needs to be done and should be done. Mm. But it's it's an entirely different matter as to how you do it. And I'm sure they're working on it now. But um, 
you know, these aren't these aren't just ordinary, you know, ordinary kind of day, you know, regular no. individuals like you and me. These are very, very the wealthiest acute, men in the world. Very <laughs> acute businessmen, the wealthiest men in the world. They've got money at all corners of the globe. They've, you know, they've got contacts all across the world. They could be involved with who knows who. You know, it's it it's, it becomes so complicated as soon as you start to expand the criteria as to as to what you what you need to be a football club owner you don't just need to have the money to be able to sustain the football club and keep it going but as soon as you widen the criteria that you need to fulfill mm. it it becomes a very 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 complicated game and they just leave themselves open in the future if this happens again and someone else slips slips through the net and you know by saying they're going to endeavour to widen these criteria and have more thorough searches. I just think that they leave themselves open to, you know, more trouble down the line. For, for And I, yeah. And I think football is, you know, it, it, in a way that our sport, our game, it's, it, it's a small, it's a, it's a small fish in a big pond uh, to kind of flip the analogy, but they are, they're such a, you know, people have obviously realized the the kind of reach and the power and the, the financial uh, kind of um, potential of the sport. And look, we see it now. Like football is, is this global phenomenon that people live and die by. And unfortunately, like you say, smart, savvy businessmen or people who need to invest money or also want to change their worldwide reputation. Look, we can see it with Qatar. Like why are they hosting or why are they trying to host the World Cup? Like why are they... Why do they get involved with PSG? Why have they bought Lionel Messi? Why have they? I, I read a piece um, on the Telegraph. I think it was yesterday, and you know they've opened a store in New York, and they're they're building kind of like academies around England and in Wales. And it's like they have gone on record saying we are in football because we want to change our reputation in the world. And it's kind of like, well, yes, that's good, but but what what are you trying to cover up and? it's it's really hard to dissociate those things especially at the moment and i think football fans naturally do but yeah it's as you say it's not easy for football to kind of kind of uh, repel these interests when there's so much money at stake and so much power to kind of be like look because they they don't have the 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 regulation or the or the kind of know-how or uh, you know they're not they're not protected from these these people who have as you say so much power so much money so many connections that it's not easy to kind of work out or or legally probably kind of do this but at the same time it's like the fact that only a week ago or so they're like right we might introduce human rights kind of like uh criterias to our tests of fit and proper ownership it's like come on like that's that's the minimum but we're only screaming and shouting about it now because of what russia are doing to ukraine and abramovich's ties with that and you know it's just one example because you know at, at the weekend eddie howe i mean ironically chelsea were playing newcastle eddie howe was asked about you know the abhorrent uh assassinations that happened in saudi arabia and and eddie howe was like look i'm here to talk about football and it's like well yes but you've also joined a club where you know full well have a dreadful human rights record and are getting into football for look, the right reasons for Newcastle United fans, but the mm. probably the wrong kind of manipulative reasons in on, on their part. And so how I think what we're seeing now is it's very hard and we probably shouldn't dissociate the kind of owners and their money and their intentions and what the, the good that they bring to the football club because then we get into this very dangerous cycle of of kind of just letting it go under wraps and we've seen that now with Chelsea and look hopefully however horrendous this all is this will serve as a kind of benchmark of just you know this we need to do better but I'm not entirely sure that it will in the end because uh, it's just there's too much money there's too much there's too much in football. It's just, it's, yeah. it's too, it's too powerful for its own good. It's too wealthy for its own good. And it's open. It's so exposed to people kind of taking advantage of it and our, and our fans dedication and love and the money and the breach. And yeah, it's, um, it's a precarious position. I think that football's in. 
No, I, I agree. I think it's, I don't think it's just football either. I just think, you know, sports, mm. sports, just every sport is an individual business. Football's a business. I, my interest, Formula One's a business. They're all businesses and they're getting, there's more and more money in these businesses year after year after year. And it becomes harder to, hardest, harder to sustain. You know, players are being, well, since the Neymar signing at PSG is obviously a benchmark, but you could go before that. Over years, the, 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 you know, the, the, the amount that players are getting paid is multiplied by, you know, by tens and dozens. Mm. And, you know, going with Formula One is another example. Teams, the, the size of the teams and the quality of the venues and that needs to be constructed, the, the, you know, the price, the cost is being multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And in order to fund that, you need to find more and more and more and more and more money. And it's, it's how do you do that? You know, as we said, not everyone has the money to sustain a football club. You know, it's got to the point now where if you're going to sign anyone, you know, just to be in the Premier League, just to be in the top flight of English football alone, let alone Champions League or whatever, you need to have owners with huge amounts of money. I mean, it's an absolute necessity at this point. And that's the stage it's got to. So if you're if you're Newcastle and you, you, you've got an absolutely horrifically bad squad and you're fighting to stay in the Premier League, it does necessitate being taken over by an entire country. You know, that's the... They're the levels we're playing at in terms of in, in terms of the money now. And mm. go back to Formula One because it's become so expensive that, and they've got a you know a campaign every race they go to, every country they go to, they want to help to fight and improve human rights. They've recently added Saudi Arabia to the calendar last year. A couple of years before that, they started going to Baku in Azerbaijan. You know, they started going to Qatar as well. You know, all these all these countries, mm. and it, you turn around and say, what, what? Why are they going there? Why are they going? Why? To the yeah. Or in football, you know, why are they taking on these owners? You know, they're quite obviously up to no good. They're playing dirty tricks, as you say, with with, with Saudi Arabian takeover of Newcastle. They're trying to change people's perceptions. That is not the same thing as they're trying to improve their human rights record. They're trying to change people's perception. You know, deep down, they're not actually changing anything. It, it's it's propaganda mm. ultimately. And but we we you know we let it we let it slide because we need that money in the game. We need that money in. in Formula One, we need that money in all different types of sports now because it's just getting so much more expensive and it's a vicious cycle, really. And I don't, I, I don't know how you break it. Um, uh, you know, we as fans let it slide because we're fans and we want to see our, our teams do well. Like, look, Newcastle were desperate to get Mike Ashley out of the club. They've they've endured a horrible kind of, you know, relatively speaking, a horrible time over the last kind of like 15, 20 years or whatever it's been since Mike Ashley's been there mainly. And it's kind of like, well, whoever other than Ashley is so much better and that will bring prosperity and, and you know, on the football pitch, better results. And so that's great. But, you know, I think it's really, you, you brought up, it's like, well, why, why is the World Cup going to Qatar? Like, why was it in Russia in 2018? Um, you know, why was the Europa League in Baku and Azerbaijan? And it's just like, look, of course, it can go to different places. But again, it's like when the frequency with which big major events are being hosted in certain places or, you know, countries or oil states, nation states win the rights for the World Cup or whatever it is. It's like, well, what does that say about like the, the values of, of sport and, and of football and at the end of the day, look, it's a commercial product. It's like a business. It's it's a form of entertainment. But, you know, it's it so heavily relies on the people being entertained. It's like a game for people. It's, you know, that that is what sport is at its foundations, at its core. It's like it's competed by human beings and supported by human beings. And then by the same token, the people now involved in sport are showing like a huge disregard and disinterest for human rights in various contexts and it's just like well where where does football draw the line can it draw the line and we're seeing quite clearly that it can't and it needs to so like you it's kind of like I, I don't see how we can kind of protect our you know football or sport in general from these kind of further reaches of, of wealth and greed and sports washing intent and I think as fans, it's better to be aware of it because as you and you quite rightly say, like, you know, we want we want people to we want our teams to do well. We want to see a good product. And look, when Arsenal were 
not doing very well under Stan Kroenke and Alisher Usmanov was, was had a, like a 30% stake in Arsenal. I was probably, I, you know, I was one who was just like, oh, well, like maybe Usmanov will try and buy Kroenke out and then that will improve us on the pitch. At that point, I wasn't aware of, you know, his potential ties to Vladimir Putin and his doing in this. And a lot of other Arsenal fans wouldn't have been too because you're so desperate to see success on the pitch. And I think that's what these these uh, these powerful influences and countries are taking advantage of because they see they can get away, as you say, with operating how they do in their countries and they can invest money to change their perception. And it's it is, it's kind of really manipulative sports washing propaganda and we are victims of it. But I think look, it's good that people are now more aware and becoming more conscious of needing to discuss it and and try and safeguard, you know, the game and the people within it and who support it. Yeah. I, no, quite. I echo all those thoughts. Um, let's maybe bring it now then um, more on, on to on-the-pitch matters. Obviously, we've had a huge discussion about the ramifications off the pitch and these, these fit and proper checks and that. But if we do bring it now onto the pitch just briefly and mm. consider how it might affect Chelsea in the near future. Um, long-term future, like you say, they'll get taken over by another billionaire. They'll still have the money. Um, whether that billionaire is gen- as generous with their money as Abramovich has been is, is a different matter or the motivations for getting involved with the club as well is a different matter. But just in the, in, you know, in the, in the next few months, you know, they've got a manager, there's now speculation over his future. They've got, Three players, I believe, out of contract. So as Pelliqueta and Rudiger of Sofma had two of them, two, two, you know, extremely valuable players who have, you know, attracts a lot of interest from the biggest clubs in Europe. Do you envisage that that's just, that they've got a side and a manager that is likely to part ways in the summer? Is that how you see it going? Or do you do you think they will they will stay together? Um, I mean, I think. Thomas Tuchel, to be fair to him, has, has spoken very well about things and it's not it's a very uncomfortable position that he's in. Um, but I think he's gone on record saying that he's not going to jump ship. I mean, look, who knows in the summer? It, it all depends on whether Chelsea get new ownership and, and sort of have more clarity on their future because it's so uncertain at the moment. I think the perception of Chelsea is certainly changing. Um, you know, players who are out of contract may be who were leaning towards trying to stay at Chelsea might think, well, maybe actually it's time to get out of here. Um, players who want to join Chelsea are maybe second guessing it because they don't want to be involved in the controversy and, and the, and the kind of uncertainty. I mean, look, it's financial uncertainty that they're in at the end of the day and players, they don't want that. And they also don't, they want to join a club who has like a clear ambition and, and kind of, uh, you know, targets and Chelsea at the moment, it's unclear where they're going to be standing. So I think, look, it will definitely have an impact for them on the pitch. I mean, certainly short term, you know, they, they've had these £20,000 caps on spending for travelling, I think. So there's all the kind of uncertainty about how they're going to get to the Middlesbrough FA Cup uh, quarterfinal because it doesn't pay for a sort of p- private jet travel. Um, and... Yeah, so I think in the short term, it probably won't affect them too much. But I think come the summer, and by that point, we'll probably have clarity over who's going to be taking over Chelsea. Um, then I think the perception will probably change a bit. I don't know. Like, what do you think? I agree. I, I mean, I was actually thinking kind of as I was formulating the question to ask you, it's, it is very difficult to say, until you know until a new owner is in place i mean if there's no new owner in place i mean those three players out of contract will leave the club or they will have nowhere to play football next season yeah should they get a new owner in place you know jury's out you'll wait and see kind of how those players still feel about remaining at chelsea it's but you know the, the longer it the longer it goes on the longer it drags on the long, i mean these the, you know forget that they're footballers and they're earning whatever ridiculous eye-watering sums they're earning you know they're, they're looking for a job next season ultimately they know what they want to know mm. what they what you know ultimately what their job's going to be what's their what their career is going to be come you know june july whenever they're out of contract the human beings like the rest of us so i mm. think that you know the longer it drags on the more their their future is in doubt um you know we'll wait and see i think that it it, it, it all depends fundamentally how sooner how soon um the takeover can be completed i mean the government said they'll be they're open to a takeover happening 
Um, obviously, they, they're they're kind of in control of Chelsea at the moment in terms of giving the the twenty thousand pounds travel to away games that. £500,000, I think it is, to put on home matches, which, by the way, I think is half of what Chelsea normally spend on the match day at Stamford Bridge. Um, mm. So, that, you know, they're going to struggle there as well. But the government has said, you know, they will allow a takeover. And I think, ultimately, it does come down to how quickly that takeover happens in terms of the, you know, the, the, you know putting an end to the uncertainty for, you know, the, the players, the staff, the manager. Because mm. um, that's what it is at the end of the day. It all comes down to uncertainty. And they, they're human beings. They want, you know, they want a stable career. They want a stable yeah. income. I, I mean, obviously, they've got plenty of money in the bank already. But... You know, yeah. you want you want your your future and your livelihood to be secure, and I think at the end of the day, it, that's what it boils down to. Yeah, in that level, definitely, and it, it's possible and and also you know relevant to narrow it down to look the staff working at Chelsea Football Club, not even just the players, but you know the, the sort of people who work in the club shop and on the match day and and stewards and stuff like that's their job. And well, are they going to be paid or? you know, what's going to happen. And and if a new owner comes in, are Chelsea still going to be sanctioned because the sanctions are against Abramovich? But then Chelsea are obviously taking the brunt of it as they probably should be. But at the same time, if Abramovich is then out of the question, will the will the sanctions continue? Like, will they be regulated more? Like, it's, there's so much uncertainty. So I think, look, the fact that there's that much already probably makes Chelsea just, you know, puts them in a more precarious position than they have been in the security of you know, bankrolled uh, Abramovich, you know, times. But yeah, it's, it's, it will be an interesting, you know, development to see where they go and how they kind of come back from this and, you know, how they respond. Because also, you know, Chelsea were obviously a football club before Abramovich came in, but he's, he is, he is their kind of past of note. And, um, where will they go from here is another question. Yeah, I think we'll, I kind of lost track of time there. I kind of ran away from us a bit. Um, huh. We'll try and keep it to an hour. You know, that was it. We got a lot out in the open there. Um, I think we'll just move on now to our, our next discussion. I think we, did, we we settled on two things we wanted to discuss today. And the second thing is entirely on the pitch matters. Um, and it relates to, well, PSG, um, on the pitch matters, PSG. Ironically, <laughs> given the discussion we've just had, but you know we are fully talking about about matters on the pitch at the moment. Their star studded lineup: Mbappe, Neymar, Messi, Sergio Ramos, Donnarumma. The list goes on. Um, they slipped out of the Champions League in the round of sixteen um, against Real Madrid and their mm. manager Mauricio Pochettino. And it it comes back to the the age old discussion that we've been having several times over the last few weeks as to the question marks over the new Manchester United manager. It was a result that I obviously had great interest in and mm. all it did really was affirm my belief that uh, Maurizio Pochettino is not the man that Manchester United should be pursuing next season if he can't get a tune out of a dressing room, including the players I just mentioned. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, it seems to me that a lot of those in footballing circles still believe that he is the right fit for Manchester United. That I mean, it's a, it's a lot more divided public that I mean just using comment section on social media for reference it's uh it's because it's becoming a lot more of a divided subject as to whether Pochettino is a is a top quality manager and I think for every mm. failure he has at PSG um it's it's just it's dividing the dividing people even more and I think after this latest one I think I would have to say that I would have absolutely no interest in him as a Manchester United supporter you know um, leading my club I mean I don't know what your thoughts are I think, yeah. Uh, I saw something quite funny. It's like you can you can take the man out of Tottenham, but you can't take the Tottenham out of the yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. And um, look, I I don't think that's all of it. To be honest, I think any look, I don't think Pochettino is cut out for managing a club with the kind of crazy power dynamics and and just what's going on at PSG. It's, it's sort of like you have to be very qualified. And I think someone like Zinedine Zidane maybe, or, you know, Carlo Ancelotti even, you know, these are the kind of guys who have experienced managing at Real Madrid and, and could probably do a job managing the egos of, of, of PSG. And look, everywhere you go has egos. But I think Pochettino, it's just, it's not really been a good fit, even though people thought it would be just because he used to play for PSG. He was their captain, He's well regarded within the game. 
but clearly, you know, I, I mean, I do, it's probably one of the hardest jobs in football, the PSG job. Oh, because absolutely. Like, there's such fine margins. You are expected to win the Champions League. And look, they haven't been great. They're, they're, they, you know, they're, they're very well, well clear of, uh, you know, uh, any Liga competitors, but they've still been dropping points as we saw against Real Madrid. I mean, the weird thing was they were so in control of that game. Um, they probably, you know, they deserve to win the first leg. And then, you know, they conceded a goal and then they just capitulated, like mm. no backbone. And look, I think that's obviously on Pochettino to an extent, but I think just the the amalgamation of the players there and, and why they're there, again, it's kind of like, well, why is Messi at PSG? Um, because he was forced out of Barcelona and PSG were the only ones who could afford him. Um, you know, Mbappe, I think that will confirm his decision probably to move to Real Madrid in the summer. But Pochettino, look, it's damaged his reputation. I don't think he'll be in charge of PSG for much longer. Um, in terms of Manchester United, I read recently that, you know, whilst he's still one of the front runners, I think Eric Ten Hag is is kind of as up there on the sort of shortlist and considerations as Pochettino is. So I don't think there's a clear favourite or rather Pochettino isn't, you know, the, the sole candidate, even though people in Manchester United who are responsible for decision-making admire him. But look, it's it's you're subjected to scrutiny uh, when something like that happens, and he deserves the kind of scrutiny that he's getting because it was embarrassing that way that the way that they folded. Having said that, I mean, brilliant. Like Real Madrid were excellent. I mean, Karim Benzema, some absolutely phenomenal finishing. Luka Modric rolling back the years, and PSG just just fell apart. And it's not the first time we've seen it. Um, no, it's not the first right. time we've seen a Pochettino team do it. So I think. Yes, it's kind of on Pochettino because he's the manager and ultimately responsible. But we've seen it happen with PSG over the years with different managers, different players. What what is it saying? And I think to relate it to the off-field kind of discussion, it's like, well, look, there's only so far you can go. You need to be run properly, and and uh, you know, to 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 be successful in in the biggest of games again on the biggest of occasions. And and PSG for the last ten years. Look, they've obviously been very successful, but they've failed ultimately in in winning their get uh, achieving their ultimate goal, winning the Champions League. And I think a lot of football fans kind of take take quite a lot of uh, comfort and joy in that. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a great week for Messi in the goat debate, um, with obviously Ronaldo going and bagging hat trick at the weekend while he's floundering with with PSG. But that's kind of a mm. a different discussion. Just bringing it back to to that. I mean. You do forget, I mean, I, I forget that, um, you know, PSG were in the Champions League final, weren't they, a couple of years ago? I mean, they did mm. have that chance. I mean, they, they, they've, they've reached a final on another day. They, they I mean, it's all if buts and maybes, but on another day, they, they lift the Champions League and we're sitting here now and we're thinking, right, well, I mean, they've won one. It's only a matter of time before they get another, but, you know, they still, they still have, they, I mean, the fact is they didn't win it. They got to the final, but they couldn't convert it. And they've assembled this squad that is... I mean, it's it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. If you had to pick a squad of players on it, 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 it I mean, it's 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 nigh on the perfect squad, really. I mean, bar a couple of areas on the pitch, um, and I just I think you know, obviously, there there come new pressures as a manager. Obviously, it becomes easier to win games if you've got the best players in the world, but there's a lot more pressure. The expectations are a lot higher as well, and. Mm. I think it's I I think it's a difficult one to compare Manchester United and PSG. PSG are a big club in the sense they've got all these huge players. Man United are a big club in the sense that they've got a huge worldwide fan base. They've got a massive history. They still have pull, but for they you know Manchester United are an attractive prospect, but for very different reasons. I think if you can't win at PSG, I mean win the, winning the league is one thing, but I think if you can't become a serial winner at PSG in that league with those players at your disposal. I don't think you will ever achieve it at Manchester United. So I think in the mm. sense that the pressure in PSG is huge and, you know, the, the the weight of expectation, I still would regard it as an easier job simply because of the sides you're coming up against on a week-to-week basis. It is mm. easy to win those domestic trophies. You've assembled an absolute dream team to play on the, you know, on the international stage. Um, I I think if you can't win it... Be, I know you talk, I accept the point. I think there's a lot of truth to it. You know, the, the amount of expectation that comes at PSG and how difficult it is to manage characters like that. But I still think it's one of the easiest countries in the world to, you know, bolster your CV as a manager. If, if you come away from PSG 
and your CV as a manager is broadly similar to when you walked in, then you have you. I mean, you have failed. Um, and that's oh, that, yeah. that. You know, that's how I see it. And he, until he, if he gets to a final, for example, then I mean, it'll be all old Pochettino's bottled it again. PSG have bottled it again, but. It's better than me knocked out in the round of 16. I mean, that's just a pathetic effort, really. Um, mm. And, I, yeah, Joey's still out for me. I don't think he'll get the opportunity to prove himself again next season. I don't think he'll, hopefully now at this stage, come to a, a club like Manchester United. I I think it's very difficult because we've seen him in three jobs now, Southampton, Tottenham and PSG, all incredibly different clubs, really. But I think he is a lot more suited to the underdog role. You know, as a manager who now has a reputation where you're not expecting him to win... I think it kind of fits the narrative that you don't expect Southampton to win or you don't expect Tottenham to win. And he's a manager you don't expect to win either. I think it suits him more being an underdog who is, mm. you know, is, is a club punching, or, uh, you know, taking a club to punch above their weight. And I don't think he's cut out for being at the absolute top table in terms but of... Is managing. that not... Do, do you not think that... And look, maybe at the moment, given that you've got Cristiano Ronaldo and and kind of you know, at this moment in time, he's probably not the right person for Manchester United because of, you know, it's the pressure is so intense with the players that you've got. But, you know, Manchester United over the next five years, you'd hope that there'd be a strategy in place to kind of catch up with Liverpool and and Manchester City. You're not kind of expected to win the league at this moment in time. I mean, look, maybe you should, given the money you've spent, but it's clear to everyone that you're nowhere near. And so... Would Pochettino not suit once, you know, the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, Cavani, Pogba, you know, maybe a few others as well have sort of cleared out that then, you know, Manchester United are in a sense underdogs and and not that there's less pressure, but, you know, he, that someone needs to take charge of that kind of rebuild and and make the team competitive again. And I think... Yeah, look, I don't know if Pochettino is the right guy, but I think Manchester United are, are a hard club to judge just because their immediate kind of position and and the complexion of their squad is good. It, you know, it's very short term. And so it's hard to align who the right manager will be based on what's going on at United right now, because it's going to be so different in a year, um, which again is part of the problem that United have had of, you know, short-term planning, wasting money, not planning for the future. Um, But yeah, I think Pochettino is still, he's regarded as a good manager for a reason. I, I sort of, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't really know what, what I think of him. I think he's a very good coach. Clearly. I think players, or at least when he was at Tottenham, they, they loved him. And I know, look, they, they didn't, achieve and they should have and was that on him was that on Daniel Levy not pushing the boat out just a bit extra but they were you know for a couple of seasons without winning anything they were the most consistent team in in the country for a bit and again it's like well if you don't win anything then that's failure but I think at PSG as well like most managers who've been there since they got they they took over you know they haven't ultimately you're judged by Champions League success and a lot of managers have gone there and, you know, arguably some of the best managers in the world and they've arguably failed because they don't reach that objective. And there's Pochettino, Ancelotti, Unai Emery was there, Lauren Blanc. Um, who else has been at PSG? Can't remember who was there before Pochettino. Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel, yeah, who's yeah, like yeah. doing very I mean, well. He at- the final, didn't he? But... Uh- I mean, the yeah. thing is, none of them had a front three of Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. Is, but, is yeah, I, and obviously, like when you've got that, there's kind of no excuses. But if you're playing devil's advocate, it's like, well, every time I watch PSG, if PSG are sitting in and playing quite a good team, then you know they're three players light defensively because those three just don't track back mm. and they don't press. I mean, Mbappe is a you know different kind of player. He's he's I think the best player in the world, but. Messi and Neymar are kind of getting on a bit and and they it's not easy I don't think to incorporate those guys I mean maybe it should be because they're so good but I think what we're seeing is that you can't just put together like the best players in the world and and hope that it comes together I mean yes you can hope it comes together but I think we're seeing it's easier said than done maybe um but I also am so 
uh, kind of sympathetic to the idea that, well, best players in the world make it work, like non-negotiable. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I agree. I think if you're if you're if you're Lionel Messi, for example, I think you know you've kind of got the onus upon you to make it work. I mean, you're in whether you really want to be at PSG, and I, you know I'm very doubtful that he does really want to be he there. Doesn't he? Doesn't look like it, does he? His, his body language is certainly that of a a person who doesn't want to be there. But you know, you compare him to like you know the the age old discussion comparing to Cristiano Ronaldo, and this isn't about standard. This isn't about who's better, better player. But I think if you look at if you look at body language, Ronaldo must look around the team he's got at Manchester United and he's got Harry Maguire at the back, you know, putting balls in his own net and stuff. He's got, you know, a very, very flaky midfield at times. He's, you know, he looks out of the side of him, he's got Rashford and Sancho. You know, he's not he's not blessed with a, a team, the quality that Messi has, but he, you know, he makes it work. And I think if you are the best players in the world, you've got responsibilities to do that. So I do sympathise with Pochettino to that extent. Like you say, actually, it's a very fair point. I think you expect these players to show their class and make it work. Um, and, I, I, you know, I do understand that. But, you know, I think onus as well does have to kind of... You, if you're a manager, you've got to be a motivator as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he's he's managing to do that. How, how does... Like, again, it is your job and look, Pochettino is failing at it, but like, how do you motivate someone like Messi at PSG? Well, yes. That's and like, crazy. how do you motivate Mbappe? He doesn't need to be motivated, but he's he's going to leave PSG. Like Neymar, these players are, you know, the best. Again, it comes back to this. It's kind of the dynamic is too much. Like there's too much money. These guys are so powerful. They've won everything. They've done everything. It's like, well, where can you go? Like, where can you be motivated? Like Neymar wanted to go back to Barcelona the last two years. Mbappe clearly doesn't want to be at PSG for that much longer Messi didn't want to be there it's like people don't really want to be at PSG so how do you motivate them but they end up there because no one else can afford them or Mm -hmm. someone like Manchester City are a well-run club regardless of not regardless but like just in footballing terms Mm, yeah yeah, yeah. they are not interested in kind of you know buying those kind of players all together at the same time so look I think you see it with Ronaldo as well like he obviously has held his own weight big time. Like where would United be without him this year? But at the same time, it's like, well, how does having that kind of player um, impact on the team as a whole? I don't know. Like, I think it was interesting to read a study recently of Manchester United fans and they were very split in terms of whether they wanted Cristiano Ronaldo at the club next year, um, just because of, you know, how top heavy maybe the team comes and it and it does become kind of all about him and and maybe that's not where United need to be at this moment in time but as you say he's doing what he needs to do score goals scoring mm. hat tricks carrying them through the Champions League but um yeah I think to lead it back to Pochettino I think he wouldn't I think United again it's not an easy job to to come in and and manage and I think that comes from years of mismanagement and, you know, chopping and changing and this kind of mismatched squad and unbalanced Mm. and all this kind of stuff. And so it needs to be kind of cleaned out um, for for a few years, I think. And I'm not sure who the right man is for that. No, I think just finally on that, I think, I I think ultimately just to boil it down, I think, Manchester United at the moment, as you say, we pointed out a lot of flaws with Manchester United over the over the weeks and over the last few minutes. They are not a club who who needs someone who's learning on the job. I mean, if you're, you know, there there are some clubs where that could work. I mean, Arsenal, for example, are making it work with Arteta. United, in the short term as well, made it work with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, bringing someone learning on the job. Mm. Short term success, maybe with Arsenal, long term success as well. But United are not in a state now where. <laughs> Sorry, where they can afford someone who hasn't yet proved themselves. Manchester United at this moment in time is not a club to, to where a manager can afford to come in and try and prove themselves. They need to have been, they need to have done that elsewhere. They need to come here with a reputation, have established themselves, to have the confidence within themselves, have the confidence of the fans that that they can do it. And I think that's ultimately where the Pochettino argument falls down. I think he's not. He did well at Southampton. He did well at, at Tottenham. You know he's done well in previous clubs that he's been in England, but ultimately he hasn't proved himself as being a manager at the level where United need to be. United can't can't settle for a manager who 
you know, who, who will nearly get them to trophies. United needs to be bringing in a winner who can take them all the way. I think if you're Pochettino, he can take you so far. I think it's like the Tottenham yeah. argument, it's like Pochettino, they brought in Mourinho. I think Pochettino will take you so far. Um, I think, I think Mourinho, you know, that appointment on paper, it was the right thing to do. But I think everyone underestimated that he was kind of past it. And yeah. I think, you know, I read Jamie Carragher wrote a piece and he said, this was in light of the Chelsea kind of uncertainty. He thinks that their perfect next manager would be Thomas Tuchel. And if he were to become available, Manchester United should push the boat out mm-hmm. to, to bring Tuchel in. I mean, I've heard Zinedine Zidane mentioned as well as someone who would fit the kind of criteria. And I know not many United fans are kind of convinced by that in terms of having a track record of success and managing kind of successful players and, and egos and all the rest of it. And I think, look, there aren't, there aren't so many, you know, someone like Eric Ten Hag, he's proved himself big time at, at Ajax, but is he is he suited? Has he proved himself to be qualified for a Manchester United job, which is so different? It, it will be very interesting to see which way they go um, because there are people with credible kind of like suitability to the club. But um, yeah, I think... Yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an exciting time for United, but I think mm, I wouldn't either. No, I think <laughs> I think I think ultimately as well. I know I keep saying kind of trying to wrap it up, and then I think of something else to say. But I think mm. you need to, whatever level you're at. I think in in whatever sport, in whatever era, I think in order to progress to the next level, you need to prove that you can win at the level below. So, I mean, if you're, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, he'd, he'd never managed an elite club, but he'd won things with Aberdeen. You know, he'd he'd maxed out mm. at the level he was at. You look at, you know, players who come through the ranks in football or, you know, taking it back, you know, drivers who come through in motorsport, whatever level they've competed at, they have won at. And that's how you progress to the next level. You've done all you can at one level and you move to the next. And I think for, for me, you know, Ten Hag fits that. He's kind of reached his maximum at Ajax. He's, mm. he's been there whatever level the Dutch leagues at, you know, he he's taken them to a Champions League semi-final. He's reached the maximum limit he can at the level that, he, that, that he's competing for me. Um, and that for me is what gives him the edge over his, over his competitors. Um, just yeah. to kind of, yeah, summarise. Um, let's just bring, wrap it up. We've, uh, we, we are rather short on time now. We have got some Champions League this week. Um I mean, we've, we've not had, got so much time to go over recent Premier League results. Just have a quick look over the results that happened at the weekend. And then we will just look ahead to tonight. Um, so, obviously, we had on on Saturday, we had Liverpool beating Brighton, United beating Tottenham, as I've spoken about. Uh, Arsenal beating Leicester as well. Good win there. Solidifying probably your claim on a top four place. Chelsea getting a late winner against Newcastle, controversially. Um City last night joined against Crystal Palace, so we probably do have a title race in our hands now. But then if we bring it to tonight, uh, Champions League and tomorrow as well, uh, we've got United against Atletico Madrid, very finely poised. Chelsea going to Lille with a 2-0 aggregate victory, if he can get there. Thomas Tuchel will drive him there if he has to, he says. <laughs> um, we'll talk more just briefly, just a couple of minutes as it kind of fits what we've just been talking about, United against Atletico Madrid tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, said last week, I remember saying explicitly, I thought that if if PSG were ever going to get a performance out of Messi, it would be against Real Madrid. That didn't come to fruition. I think you could say the same about Manchester United. I think if you're ever going to get a good performance out of Cristiano Ronaldo, and I mean, obviously put one in at the weekend, but if you can ever bank on a star to the performance from Cristiano Ronaldo, it's going to be against Atletico Madrid. Um, so, I mean, what, what do you make of that United at home? Obviously, away goals don't count anymore, but they do have the backing of the crowd tonight. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously Ch- uh, Manchester City and Liverpool are through, so two English clubs through. Um, I think Chelsea will go through against Lille. I think United, to get a draw at Atletico, who have struggled, you know, this season really, conceded a lot of goals, to get a draw when you didn't play that well, I think was was a decent result a couple of weeks ago. I think United have a very good chance of going through just because I think... I could imagine, especially off the back of that Spurs game, Ronaldo kind of scoring a hat trick. He will be, you know, chomping at the bit this evening um, to start kind of make an impact. And he's done it so many times against Atletico for Real Madrid, for Juventus. Um, so I would not be surprised, <laughs> especially in the Champions League, to see a Ronaldo kind of masterclass this evening or 
not even masterclass kind of him making the difference but you know it depends what kind of united turn up i mean course, yeah, even yeah. though even though they won against spurs i think they weren't that convincing and it's, it's like that into, if, they'd, if they'd lost you just said they probably deserve to lose yeah and, and look Jaden Sancho is playing very well at the moment I think he's actually probably been your most consistent performer of late um, so I think look there are certainly strengths and weaknesses for United and it just depends also what Atletico turns up so I'm, I'm actually very interested to watch the game having thought about it a bit now um, and then we've also got Ajax Benfica but I, I'd probably say that I'd expect United to go through to be honest yeah, I would make them favourites as well. But I mean, as we've, you know, if we've learned anything know. from the last hour, if we've learned anything from the last hour, it's that you just don't know anymore. Anything can happen. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll leave it there. I think we've reached the hour now. Um, yeah, just, just quickly. Yeah, go on. Just quickly. Um, Obviously, then we've got Juventus, Villarreal the next day, but then actually Premier League-wise, Spurs are playing Brighton and then Arsenal have got Liverpool Um, just uh, to... You know, there's Champions League and Premier League. So big, yes, big couple yeah, of yeah, days yeah. of sport. You're right, um, you're right, so yeah. very exciting. Hugely. And then Newcastle against Everton as well. Uh, God, Everton yeah. really struggling at the moment, as we've been seeing the last few weeks. Everton ever close to relegation zone. Um, yep. And on that note, that's the note we'll leave it on. Everton sliding close to the bottom three. Uh, thanks for joining me again. What a show that was. I think we got a lot out in the open there. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Bye bye.